Hey, I'm welcoming you to Book by Book. I'm Richard Buse, and we're taking up now the seventh in our series of studies on the Book of Revelation, situated as we are in rather an overcast day in Plymouth, England. I'm joined here by Paul Blackham and also by our special guest, Stephen Nichols. And as we come to this next in our series, it's um, study number seven. We're coming to Revelation chapter 14. We ended in the last study with the followers of the Lamb at the beginning of chapter 14. And now we come to a contrast with the followers of the beast. And I'm going to read, first of all, from chapter 14 and verse 6. Here we are. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury. Well, as we look at that contrast here, I suppose the first issue we might discuss is what the mission of these three angels here is in Revelation 14. Is it a message of hope or judgment or what? What do you think, Stephen? It seems to be a message both of hope and judgment, and that is the gospel, hope and judgment, salvation and destruction at the same time. When here we are uh, sitting near the sea, and from time to time we hear stories of uh, somebody perhaps who's gone down to the, to the beach with their deck chair and a book, and they've spent the afternoon there and the tide has been out, and they've been so engrossed in what they're doing in, the, in their little world, they haven't noticed the tide gradually uh, rising. And very soon they'll be cut off and they'll be swept away. And we might see somebody else on the cliffside shouting down warnings to them, warnings to get away while they still can. And that seems to be the flavor of the message of these three angels. Um, hope and judgment. Fear God because the hour of his judgment is coming, yeah. says the first angel. The second angel speaking in the prophetic past is speaking so certainly about the destruction of, uh, of Babylon, that he speaks about it in the past tense. Fallen is Babylon the great. It is as good as already happened. As good sure. as already happened. The third angel, if anyone follows the beast, the beast we've seen in the previous chapter, then he too will share in the judgment of the beast. So hope and judgment go together in the gospel. Yeah, that's a very solemn message indeed from those three angels. Then as you come on to verse 14 following, I, you know, that sounds like the end of the world again. Why is it presented here as the reaping of grapes, do you think? Well, it is the end of the world. And once again, we're at the end of the world, as we've been lots of times. But this time, the imagery is like um, a, a harvest time with all the grapes are collected and put into a huge vat. And they're all going to be crushed. And so all the grape juice comes out. It actually goes back to this prophecy of the Messiah in Isaiah 63 where he comes and all the nations are crushed into a, 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 a vat. And then all the, 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 like the blood comes out under the God's anger and judgment. That's the image here. And it's frightening because there's no escape. It's a universal judgment. That's the significance of the number 1,600. All these numbers have significance and symbolism in Revelation. Here, it, it's four times four times a hundred. 
Four is the number of the world. So it's like the whole world is under this judgment that's coming. You can't think you're going to run away to somewhere to escape it. There's nowhere to run to. The judgment's coming on the whole world. That's, so it is universal. Yeah. One takes that very seriously indeed. Actually, there's such a contrast here in chapter 14 between the followers of the Lamb earlier on and then the followers of the beast here. So you can see the contrast. Followers of the Lamb, 14 verse 3, they are singing a new song. Followers of the beast, it says here, they have no rest. Followers of the lamb, they are sealed with God's name on their forehead. Followers of the beast, they are branded with the beast's mark. Followers of the lamb, they are described as safe. They are purchased, chapter 14, verse 4. Followers of the beast, heading for Babylon's fall. Followers of the lamb, 14, verse 4, undefiled. And the followers of the beast, tainted with Babylon's adulteries. Followers of the Lamb, they're following on to happiness. Followers of the beast, heading towards judgment. The contrast is very, very obvious mm. indeed. Actually, as we come to chapter 15, there's another pattern of history beginning right here. Why do you think it begins with the calm of heaven and the song of Moses next to the sea of glass? Do you read that there? It seems that, we're, we're, as you say, we're, we're starting a new cycle. I saw in heaven another great and marvellous sign. So we're starting over again. But before we get to the place... So the video has rewound once more. It's rewound. We're back again looking at this. That's okay. Right. Before we get to the plagues, we see the deliverance from the plagues. We see the final victory uh, of God's people. So we're taken back in the language of Exodus, back to Exodus chapter 15 after the ten plagues had fallen on the land of Egypt, after the Israelites had been uh, uh, expelled from the land and escaped and went through the Red Sea, and after Egypt's armies had drowned in the Red Sea, Moses and the Israelites sing a song of victory on the shore on the other side. And this is what's going on here. Uh, here, here is the church singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, and they're singing it beside a sea of glass. In other words, uh, uh, the sea has been tamed. It's no longer tempestuous like the tossing of the nations. Mm. It's, it's glass, but it's mixed with fire, the fire of God's judgment. Mm. And they're singing the song of the lamb because it's the lamb who has delivered them by his blood, just as in Exodus. So that pointed forward to the cross of Jesus Christ by which his church is delivered. Yeah, great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, King of the ages. And then we're moving on then, uh, verse 5 onwards, uh, after this I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, which of course we see as the seven golden bowls. And Ooh. these plagues, these seven bowls of wrath, they're not limited in the yeah. sense that that they, these are actually final mm. uh, kinds of judgment. In what way is that so? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, there's been that intensifying, hasn't there, as we've gone through the book of Revelation. And now it's very much like, if we think of that camera angle uh, that you spoke about, the different camera angles, in a way, where's the camera now? Where's it looking from? It's sort of looking from the final day of judgment. So it's looking at everything as if the judgment day's already happening kind of thing. It's as if 
It's, it's, it, the day of judgment's almost like happened already. And it's the, so there's not the limitation of only a third of the grass no, or only sure. a third of people. It's not, as we've been thinking, there's a universal character, the judgment of God, finally. There is no escape. The intensity of it, the time of warning is over almost. The judgment days upon us. And now we feel as if we're co- when we read these, it's overwhelming the intensity of it because the wrath of God's coming on the whole world. Judgment's, judgment day itself seems to be happening. So in this case, it's in particular, although it's not the final judgment yeah. that we read about at the end, it's final judgments coming upon individuals here and there yeah. and on situations. Yeah. Is that the right? The intensity of judgment days in, in, throughout this vision. And we take that very seriously, of course. You have to. It's extremely solemn. This whole chapter is solemn. Mm. And as you look on at chapter 16, verse 4 to 7, actually, how does the third angel explain the reason for this final and complete judgment? Uh, What do you think about that, Steve? Well, once again, it seems to be for the sake of the church, for the sake of the oppressed, persecuted church through the ages. So we, we think right back to the beginning of the Bible where Abel, the first martyr, and his blood cries out to the Lord. And from then on, the blood of the martyrs is crying out, how long, O Lord? It's, it's, it's Revelation chapter 6 again, where the fifth seal is opened. It's Revelation chapter 8 again, which uh, sort of launches the, the seven trumpets. Um, here again, it's chapter 16 uh, and verse 6, you are just, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and mm. you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. God's martyrs, uh, his precious martyrs, will have their justice one day. Mm. So these judgments, uh, which can be applied individually to certain person or to situ- certain situations, it, it seems to speak of their totality, they really are final, of their familiarity, when you think of, of, this, of Moses and that great deliverance then, we're familiar with that sort of language, and their purity is just, it's God's just working, and a variety as well, it mm. seems. They all take different forms. It might take the form of plagues or pestilences or sudden accidents in nature or uh, the ending of somebody's life. But in that way, it, it happens. So as we move on to 16, yes, verse 8 to 21, I'm looking at this now, Paul. I mean, mm. What do you think? How far could we describe this as the Judgment of hell breaking out on earth as the final day approaches, because it's extremely somber. It's so somber, and people use that phrase, don't they? It's like, oh, it's like hell on earth. Well, they usually use that about something quite trivial sometimes, but when we read this, it is like hell on earth. And you can see there's like demonic character to it in verse 13, with these sort of, these like frogs that are like demons and evil spirits. And it's as if when we're into this sense of the final judgment coming, all the intensity of these things, it's like hell itself coming out onto the earth. And it all comes, as with all these sequences, when we get to the end, the sixth and seventh of them, it is the final judgment of all. And if you look from verse 17, where there's this earthquake, like the greatest earthquake there has ever been, and everything falls down, and even the islands are shaken now, it reminds me a little bit of in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 and 27, where these earthquakes that have been connected with Sinai all the way through the the book of Revelation. It's now got to the greatest earthquake there ever is. And it says, um, Hebrews 12, 26, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised, 
Once more I will shake, not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. So we're looking ahead at the end of this chapter to this shaking of the whole order of creation, so that then only that which cannot be shaken will remain. So in this study, really, we've been travelling the road to well, what is called here Armageddon in chapter 16, verse 16, which represents the final punch-up between good and evil. And, uh, of course, we're going to come on more to that later. But as we close, I mean, what a section this has been, these final judgments, the underlining of decisions that have been made by somebody all through their life. Mm. And that finally comes to rest upon them. Just to read, you know, these warnings, uh, we might think of them simply in terms of theory, but no, actually to meet, you know, somebody of gospel conviction, some individual of Christ-like purity, that's enough to warn us too. When we meet somebody and think, actually, there's something better than what I'm doing at the moment. Or I, actually, I was reading about General Booth's oldest daughter, Kate Booth. She was called in France the Maréchal when she was there. She was one of the Salvationists. She went with her Hallelujah lasses. And uh, when she got to America at one point, she thought, I'm going to invite myself to a striptease show, which was going on. And she asked for a ticket, and they said, no, no it's for men only. She said, I, if, I do not, if I'm not permitted to come in, I shall make a scene. So they, finally they gave her a ticket, and she marched in. Then as the striptease began of the show, of these poor girls who were brought on, the Marischal, that's the military title she was given, Kate Booth, to give her a military title, the Marischal, stood up and pointed at the man who was directing this show and said, you will be judged for this. I myself will be at the judgment to see that you are judged. Wow. And when I think of the Marischal and people like that, you and I are not perhaps built quite like her. <laughs> but nevertheless, that's the mentality. That's the mentality to know that something is coming mm. and we may be involved. Mm. Maybe that's enough for the moment. We're going to come back another time. And meanwhile, thank you for joining us in this study.